paint your hell? My personal hell would just be not being able to create at all, like being in a space where I can't execute a visual project, any sort of creative endeavor, someone somehow stopping that from happening, whatever that space might be, would be my hell. Like my body needs to keep moving and my mind is constantly coming up with projects, ideas. I mean, obviously all of us, but uh, ideas. But I need to keep creating. That's it. I can't, I can't stop. If I have to stop, it's over for me. What things would pain you the most to be without? For instance, is it your eyes to be able to see the work you're doing? Is it your brain to be dimmed to the point where you don't have the ideas? Is it to not have hands or limbs to execute I, the I ideas? Think, I actually think it would be not being able to hold on to my thoughts in a way that I can create. So like if there, if, if I lost my capacity to um, hold on to the idea long enough to make it, you know, cause I think the way that I actually make is pretty, I'm pretty strategic about laying things out, planning, and then executing it over time and being able to do that in a pretty organized way and not being able to work like that or being hindered in some way from doing it that way would be really, would be a pretty big struggle for me. Um, I so think if you had like goldfish changed the dynamic emotionally a lot. Yeah, I guess so. But I heard goldfish actually have a long memory. What? Really? <laughs> is, that, is that true? Like they actually have a longer memory than we think. That's what I, I, I feel like I heard that somewhere. I like that you asked me. I have no idea if that's true or not, but <laughs> okay, okay. Let's go to the callers. Vo the uh, please leave a voicemail and answer this question. These tools are for you to use. Welcome to This Is Your Afterlife, conversations with artists and activists about death and life. My name is Dave Marr. I am the host of the show. I'm a comedian. I live in Chicago. I was in a coma seven years ago. Totally over it now, except I'm begging guests to answer deep questions for me once and for all. My guest this week is Chris Santiago. Chris is a comedian. He is a visual artist. He is a former art teacher. He taught previous guest of the show, Sky Kubakub, when they were in high school. And he's, he's great. He, he, I first met him when he came to a performance, a sparsely attended performance of my first one-man show, Dave Marcoma Show. And he had just heard about the show and we sparked up a conversation after that, and we've stayed in touch and lightly collaborating. I'd like to say I'd like to to collaborate more with Santiago, actually. But he's he's a very supportive guy, not without his neuroses, but certainly a champion of the scene. A little bit older, which it doesn't take 
much age to be older in a in a comedy scene, meaning he's a he's like my age. And so anyway, I just I love him. That's it's not a good promo to say he's a little bit older than most of the young stand-up comedians. That whether you care about that or not, it's not really a a draw to listen to the episode. Here's what it is. I find him relatable. Okay, that's a draw. There you go. We're cooking. We're cooking. He also has an insane project that he says it's a working title, but it's called the Chris Obscura Voicemail Podcast. He records these one-minute episodes, and you just call the number and listen to the podcast for that day. And that's how you get it. And then you call the next day. And I did it today. It was fun. I'm probably going to do it tomorrow. And you should too. And the number to call for that podcast is 773-234-2784. You can find him on Instagram at Chris Obscura. You can see him at The Tornado Show, which is a fake Lollapalooza after party called Lollapalooza, Lollapalooza, I think, at the hideout. Tomorrow, Wednesday, on Wednesday, I got to do some quick calculations here. Wednesday, what's the Wednesday? Oh my God, what Wednesday is it? The 27th, tomorrow at the hideout. I put links to all those things in the show notes. Did I say his Instagram is at Chris Obscura? I think I did. You know, do you know what is happening? I just wanted to talk about Chris. And then I also wanted to thank you for listening to the show. I'm really grateful that people do listen to the show. So that's fucking cool. If you're also looking for other ways to support the show, I have a few. If you like the idea of a voicemail, you can call the voicemail for this show. If you listen to the questions and you go, I have a little answer I could give to that question or a little anecdote, anything you think of, 313-MISSED-U-R-A. Okay? So that is the voicemail. You can also, if you listen to the show and you think, you know what? This is a guy. Meaning me, not Chris in this case. But, you know, I appreciate Dave's work. I'd love to take him out to coffee or, you know, a cheap meal. I, I would I would do that once a month. You can basically do that by going to patreon.com slash Dave Marr at the $5 tier. You get all the bonus audio. Everyone gets all the bonus audio, including with the Santiago conversation, it's like 45 extra minutes of just us bullshitting before the show starts. You get the after shows and at the $15 level, you get a shout out. You're a pigeon level subscriber. And those people are Katie Llewellyn, Kurt Chang, Fred Fidawa, Susie Carroll, Shuba Singh, John Lee, and Debo. So thank you to them, especially. You can also subscribe to the show, reviewing it, Oh man, I know people don't don't enjoy art to stroke the the egos of the creators, but if they did, man, a podcast review is a great way to do that. And that is all I've got for you right now. 
So please enjoy my conversation with the relentlessly creative Chris Santiago. I grab your whip and take it back to Chi-Town. When I'm in Chi-Town, I treat it like it's... What do you hope happens when you die? That I'll get to rest and find just find some rest. But the thing I really hope, and I've hoped this since I was a kid, is that... I mean, like the James Webb telescope is very exciting to me. Space is very exciting to me. I would like to actually be able to explore space for a little while, just to go through the universe and see all the things that we are not able to see and to be able to do that for millennia, go see other universes. That's just something that I find very exciting. So is it just to see them is that is that just it? to see just to visit like i'm a vacationer throughout the cosmos uh, but do you Can need go to planets and what what sort of interaction do you imagine happening i don't even need to interact i just want to view i just want to see what i have not been able to see do you as a person what, on this earth what are the things you would be most excited to see is it specifically visual phenomena or is it like to find out if there's life in other places no or... not even that i really it's the, co- the colors i just want to see things floating i just want to see electricity on planets and what's happening like what kind of like lightning storms are happening what explosions i want to see stars die i want to go through black holes i want to see all of that like i want to see time anomalies you know like okay i i just want to view it i think that's the thing like i was recently on a train trip uh from winnipeg to vancouver and for me like the most exciting part of it was just looking out the window and seeing you know, old mills, industrial things, uh, old trains left and abandoned. Yeah. Sometimes people line up old trucks on the side, their old vehicles. And I I could watch that for eternity. Like that's actually very exciting to me. Uh, seeing these spaces that are off the road, you know, like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I love seeing this little factory or this abandoned barn. Um, and yeah, space would be that for me. Like, oh, I'm just, I'm looking at the Grand Canyon. Like, there's nothing else to do here. Spit off the side, but I don't even need to do anything. I just want to see it. Like, that so, is my greatest curiosity. And it sounds like from up close and from far away. It's not just like seeing things at the galaxy view. It's like also zooming into an individual star yeah. or whatever. Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah, going in going into other going onto other planets you know what is it that makes this so endless a fascination for you because to spend millennia do i mean it sounds very cool but millennia i'm like i don't know that's uh it's gonna get redundant at some point no way i i think there's just so much plus the other thing is the universe ends, right? Like it's mm-hmm. kind of, it's still expanding. Mm-hmm. So I want to see that. I want to know what's at the ends. Right. And to just see the end of the journey. And I think I, it's just, uh, for me, it's just such a great, 
mystery to explore. Funeral planning. Do you have thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, I'm always planning that. I'm always trying to figure out what is that last show, you know? Oh, and, my God. <laughs> uh, I, for a while. Before you die. Or, yeah, before or I Or at like, the funeral. At the, at the funeral. Like, I'm just thinking about what is that last funeral show. Okay, okay. Uh, for me, like, what is the experience going to be, mm-hmm. you know, for people? And I want to make that cool, you know? So I sort of, oh, a couple of years ago, I started writing letters based thinking about different ways that I could die and like what those letters might be like it was an accident or it was illness or it was only like I was trying to write a whole bunch of letters and I just stopped it was like really hard and I got too busy with work but they're there 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 are files in like my documents you know which I still have to do but the thing I've been thinking now is that like what if I just work on us because I saw Norm Macdonald's special that he did before oh the like before he died he's right? together one where he's like talking to camera basically yeah he's just talking to camera okay and i was like oh that would actually be kind of cool to be working on my special just mm-hmm. throughout the years making the special that i would want it would just be kind of a journey you know you'd see me perform you'd see different little bits and no one gets to see it until I die. Like, that's it. Like, that's the last, my last special, my special, my one and only special that you get to see when I die. It's like a little treat, you know? Yeah. So, so it would be kind of a doc. So it's a, it's a documentary plus it's Richard Linklater's boyhood, but. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's all of that. Whole, okay. But, but I'm already 45 and you're just watching me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like. You don't get the Old cute manhood. parts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no cuteness. Right. But is there t- – t- tell me – it feels like you're a person who is very process-oriented and isn't, like, obsessed with product, which I really admire and feels like the most sustainable way to be creative, especially if you're making things that are not – commercially viable like (laughs) how can you be obsessed with product if the product is trash to 99 percent of people (laughs) not which is not insulting you it's just like you know reclaiming what your wife said but but to only be building toward one special feels very product oriented instead of process oriented i think so i love process i think i i value process over product a lot like that journey but i am also man i i don't think anyone knows how obsessive i am with the final product i sure i do spend a lot of time and anxiety over the last thing so even even that podcast I do spend more time on it than it would seem. I don't know how it comes across, but it's, oh my gosh, like <laughs> I'm, uh, it makes me laugh that I've spent as much time as I have on some of these episodes that are one minute long because you have <laughs> one shot and then it's like, oh, that's not good. I right. So as much as the process is important to me, I mean, the product is, I'm still kind of obsessive about it. You know, so you just can't I imagine think that's the, finishing 
a special in your lifetime is basically what it is. Yeah, I, I, there's definitely that. And whatever, wherever it ends, and oh my gosh, I, I don't know. I think about, like, I don't even know if my family would know how to go through my files. Like, it's all there. It's all waiting for them to discover it. But okay. I just know, I feel like they're, someone has to, I'm giving this to you. I think okay, I have to okay. leave it to you to okay. distribute. This is our last collaboration. Sounds so. good, sounds good. You must, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm making it to maybe 65. I don't <laughs> oh know. Oh my God. No way. <laughs> I think bo- you, this I body think... feels like it's sputtering out. I, Dude, I, but honestly. no, if we go genetically, I'm going to die way before you. You cannot, you cannot do that. You have this project to distribute. I don't know about that though. Like, <laughs> you have the host, you've got a host now. And <laughs> I mean, now I kind of want you to die so I can have uh, this product to put out and, and I'll get a little I'll bit of it. credit for. <laughs> <laughs> if that's what this show, if that what takes what it takes to make this show epic, um, let's do it. Wait, you, let you're me get a that rest. Show or my podcast? Uh, me dying. You uh-huh. doing the funeral show? Uh-huh. That's going to be an episode, and then I get to fly through space. I think that's what happens. So, <laughs> it's. It's all win-win. My question is the relive one memory question, which is the premise from the show that was called Feed Wolf Ice Cream, where we're in the afterlife. And I'm telling people that in the afterlife, everyone gets to fully relive one memory, uh, like a room you can step into and out of whenever you want, however many times you want, but you have to pick one. What is that memory for you? Oh, I I have a really nice one, which is, it's one of my earliest memories. And it was just like me sitting on my dad's lap while he's watching TV with his feet across on a, on a, on like a shelf. And we're watching boxing on cable. I'm like five years old. Okay. Okay. And I'm looking out the window. And at that time, I guess not as much light pollution. And the sky is just like full of stars. I can see that out of my window in the suburbs. And I don't, it's like a memory that I would love to go back to. I mean, because it was just, there's something about that the boxing, being with my dad. My dad is still alive. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I don't know what it is about that moment, but it's just such a sweet part of like my childhood. What is, so you're in Chicago. I'm in Addison, Illinois. Okay. Okay. Cause were you born in the suburbs? I was born in the suburbs. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I probably can't say which suburb because that's like a question to, your passwords. Ah, uh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an answer for. Like, <laughs> please verify. Where were you born? I can't. I can't tell anyone. I'll just say uh, Cicero. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So I know you said you don't know what it is about the boxing and the stars, but let's try to figure out what it is. Like what. What is the feeling you remember from this memory? Is yeah, it- so I think part of it is my dad. There's like that comfort and security. 
Mm-hmm. Then there's like the violence of boxing. So the violence is that like then, an adrenaline thing? Yeah, it's just like enjoying something that my dad enjoyed. It felt cultural, you know, like Filipinos love, especially at that time, love boxing. Really? Uh, we still love boxing. Oh, yeah. I didn't and realize that. I, hence Pacquiao, right? Okay, like, okay. Uh, and then the stars is just, that's like peace, you know? So there's like all these contrasts and like the stars of like the mystery of, like I said, it's always, it's been in me for a long time of just wanting to explore the yeah. stars. I never wanted to be an astronaut or do any of that, but or I, an astronomer. just something about being, nope, not at all. Just to stare, just to like disappear, you know, like have your imagination run wild. Yeah. Like I didn't need to know about like the mass of stars. I'm not that guy. Like I don't need to know like all the different solar systems or anything. It's just the staring and like disappearing into that space, you know, like when you're lying down on the ground and looking at a sky full of stars, you disappear, you know, you're like, there's just something you can detach yourself from your regular existence and you just have that moment, you know, in the dark and uh, there's something great about that. And then, uh, I, yeah. Are you, or have you been a sci-fi guy at all? Is it, is there a, is, is there stories about the stars that you've enjoyed? If not the super sciencey stuff? Yeah, definitely a sci-fi guy. Definitely really? a horror guy. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but all the sci-fi I love is horrific and <laughs> is scary. <laughs> so it's just like I love that part of it. I love, I love the terror, terror in space. That is like my favorite motif. And, right. Uh, so my question for you, because space, I see these these telescope pictures, and a big part of me is freaked out. Oh, does that? Do you get that at all? Does the idea of being in space, you know, like I've never seen gravity, but like a gravity situation where you're just floating out there and no, I I don't have any, it doesn't scare me at all. The idea of the sun eventually exploding and, (laughs) and like, you know, the solar system and the universe collapsing in on itself is kind of like this amazing thought to me of it just zeroing out. I, none of that terrifies me. I find it fascinating, you know, like okay. I would love to live through. The one thing I'm sad about is that I won't live through the very end of like the existence of humanity. Like, what does that look like? Like, I'd love to see the shutdown of the the whole system. Oh no, is that? Am I am I the worst guest? Every oh all the other guests. No, no, no. I feel like all the other guests are very profound. I'm I'm into horrible things. No, there, there's there's profundity and horror as well. You know? <laughs> uh, I I would be in. I'm interested in hearing stories. A, a speculative fiction about the end of yeah. humanity, but living through it is another. Uh, oh, I just, I don't know. I'm so curious. I, I love to see things end. That is definitely, I, maybe that's like my desire to finish a product. Okay. Like, I'd love to, I'd love to binge watch this humanity and then see <laughs> like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's where it went. That's, this is it. And I think there's this like um, 
in the Bible, there's this thing about like, you know, Jesus comes back and you'll, when that happens, the stars will collapse and like back in on the earth and you'll like there's all this like space stuff space right. imagery right which is kind of cool which you're probably familiar with do you remember sort it's of like a revelations I mean, thing right yeah the revelation stuff i i don't remember space stuff as much as like animal stuff fire stuff regal water there's yeah there's a lot of polluted sitting on thrones right there's a lot of like plagues a lot of like you know 12 winged griffins will breathe fire onto the damned and (laughs) there's some thor ragnarok right 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 um okay so so the the combination of these feelings it feels like you're getting to fit not like it's a cheating memory, but you're getting multiple feelings from the same memory. And like each time you visit, you could almost kind of focus on either the comfort or the violence or the peace. Yeah. Yeah. And the simplicity, right? Like it's, it's a very complex image. As I look back, every time I look back at it, it's like, oh, there's more happening here. Mm-hmm. But also for me, I think as a child, it was just like such a simple, quiet moment. I think I was a very hyper child. You know, I was mm. kind of just had a lot of, I don't know, not anxiety, but just like ADHD, you know? So it's just like I had to run. I'm running all the time, but it's like that one moment where I'm kind of calm, my head is clear with my dad. And like that wasn't, I don't know, we're not like a very touchy-feely family. Mm. So, you know, it's like, it's not like my dad, my dad doesn't hug me. Like we don't, we're not huggers, you know? Like I've seen families where everyone hugs and they're so like, oh, you've been doing this a lot. We're we're not distant but we're just definitely are not that touchy now more than before like we'll hug and but like if i say i love you to my sister we both we both go Uh, it's kind of a joke we do hey love you sister and we're like oh yeah yeah (laughs) you know we're just not that family (laughs) yeah yeah so it's like all of those things get to exist in an unspoken way yeah in this memory yeah, it's very it's very it's a very sweet memory for me. What's your coma? In the sense of a moment of transformation where before you were one version of yourself and after you became something else or something got stripped away and it can be a big dramatic, you know, out of body <laughs> car accident, right. whatever, or it can be just walking down the sidewalk, some switch flips and you're different. Um, my coma was working at the picture people in Oak Brook Ball. What's picture people? It was a children's photo studio. Okay. How old and, are you? Okay. This is the best part. I'm, 
I'm working there. I'm in. You have to picture me first. I'm wearing a vest with buttons on it. You know, like festive buttons. Okay. It's a khaki vest. I'm wearing a little hat with a propeller on top. Okay. I'm, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm looking at myself in the mirror. It is my 25th birthday. Oh wow! And I am realizing that freelancing and working at the mall is just not gonna cut it and i'm never gonna move out of my parents house i graduated college late and i realized that i needed to execute my teaching degree you had a teaching and become i had a teaching degree already okay i was trying to resist using it i wanted to be just an artist be free freelance eventually move to New York, you know, do that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But before that, I tried to make a big break for it by moving to Asia to build a new portfolio, find work there. And then the goal was to never end up back in Chicago to end up in New York. Mm -hmm. It didn't work out. So then I ended up having to restart. I'm at the mall and my professor, uh, my parents, they they lost they lost their trust and hope that I could pull it off. So they brought me back home. Yeah, they got very scared. They forced me to come back home. And How did they? Force- I was just on the verge. Uh, there was going to be no support, so <laughs> and I couldn't really legally like just start working there. There was no visa mm-hmm. process yet. You know, like there there was, and they were they were really afraid that I would die in in the Philippines. They're like, there's no way you can make it. Plus I'm not the healthiest guy. So there would be no healthcare there. Mm. You know, it it was reasonable. It was reasonable to, it was also directly a week after nine 11 when I was there. So it was a crazy time. Okay. How long were you over there? For almost six months. Okay. Okay. Yep. And you went just building new in work. September. Yeah. Okay. Did you get yeah, no. anything for the portfolio that you wanted? Oh, I, yeah, I made like work that, cause I was just sick of all the work that I've been making for school, for jobs here. I wanted to just kind of reinvent my portfolio, have something new to look at, you know? So I, I definitely built up a photo series that I was in love with. Okay. And I thought I could shop around and show off, but it really, that did not pan out. That's one of those works where I put a lot into it. Hardly anyone saw it or loved uh, it, uh, you know, but it's like, I'm proud of it. I'm happy with it. And that's okay. Do you know why they didn't, it didn't hit? It just, I think the work just felt like, I don't know everyone else's work that did that kind of documentation, you know, on the streets and uh, it just wasn't strong enough. I think in the end, you know, like, like not enough of the people in their mind, not an original point of view. Yeah. Yeah. Even when I show it now or like post some of the work, it's just not that impressive. But the thing is that work, having that portfolio, having that experience really did help me get a teaching job 
as mm. an art teacher. Okay. Because it's sort of like, oh, you were, I was working on drawings, I was working on paintings, I was working on a large photo series. Yeah. Like I said, I need to make work all the time. So I made a giant portfolio that was not college work. Right, and right, right. Like that really helped sort me get like a very good job. So, and you were about to say before I asked about the Asia experience, which it sounds like the fact that you say Asia means you weren't just in the Philippines, you were like traveling around. Yeah, we're traveling a little bit. Yeah, mainly the Philippines. Okay, so then you were about to say my professor. Oh, yeah, Uh, I I showed the work to a professor and they were like, "Uh." oh, no, but uh, but they were like, you know they were impressed that I did the work and they did talk about it. Like, Oh, you know, this, they vouched for me for my job. So they were like, this guy went to Asia has been working on portfolio. It's like a person that would be very good as an art teacher in this space and would bring in interesting ideas, you know, would bring so in how do we energy. Even, how do we even get to the point where you're applying for the job? We're still take me back to, Okay. Oh, the yeah. yeah. So I'm back the in the, the bathroom. Yeah, I'm in and the bathroom. The I'm called? twirling my propeller. The mall's Oakbrook Mall. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I don't know if the picture of people is still there, but you can go visit it and just see what it felt like. Okay. Okay. It's just it's just a suburban mall. Nothing. Yeah, just a suburban mall. You know, uh, mom's yelling at you for not mm-hmm. being able to make their baby laugh. Mm-hmm. That was hard. Uh, yeah. uh, that was wow. It was demoralizing. My coworkers, <laughs> although I will say, like, because I'm coming out of you know, photo school, basically art school. Is they this tell you art to Institute shoot. of Chicago? No, uh, UIC. UIC. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So you know, they're telling you when you shoot a project, you shoot like sixty rolls to get that one shot. Right. This is like give us four poses in 12 shots you're working with a baby don't use more than that we don't have you know you're wasting tons of money i'm shooting (laughs) roll after roll (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you can imagine it was not going well i could not i could not do that i could not make the babies laugh i could not make all the children smile that had never seen an asian man before they were terrified (laughs) i could see it in their eyes uh there was a lot but my coworkers, oh my gosh i honestly they were amazing they could get these 12 shots and have amazing poses they were geniuses wow so yeah tell me if i'm painting the picture okay oh i'm right miserable job after graduating from college trying to make a dream come true having that fail and and coming back to the miserable job already post your post college ennui and like a, the first experience of like my dreams are not going to go the way that I've planned them to go. Oh yeah. So okay. that's happening. Okay. Then my professor calls and was like, apply to this job. I applied to this teaching job. Is this the professor you yeah. showed the, the portfolio to? Actually different professor. It was a different professor. The other professor, 
Uh, sorry, I, I may have mixed it up and now the podcast is all screwed up. Uh, yeah, probably. So I showed my photo professor the work. They were like, meh. Yeah. And that, that photo professor was very well connected and uh, is like in photo history books. Okay. okay so okay. it's just like, this This is a very important voice for me to hear from. And this and voice they were is only, saying they, Yeah. So, so uh, it's not, you know, yeah. like yeah, I've yeah. seen... I've seen good work and your work is only It's okay. not my shit. So it's like, okay, well, I guess this is not going to be great. Then, okay. you know, it's like, like I put the work in some shows. Sorry, I screwed that up. And then my other professor from uh, art education, the art mm. education department, reached out, was very excited about the work I had been making and said, you should apply to the school another UIC student that's there, former student is there and is leaving and you should just try. Mm. I resisted it, but then I was like, I'm 25. I'm going to be off my parents' health insurance right. pretty soon. Right. I need that health insurance. I need consistent work. My parents would have been happy to have me at home until my 50s. They would oh, wow. have not have okay. cared. No shame. They would have loved it. They loved having me there because the house was too quiet without me. Mm. So, um, and my parents are the kind of people that they love hanging out. They have a very rich social life. And I remember when I was living there, they'd come home at night and be like, Hey, do you want to go to the movies? Do you, let's go out to eat. Are you hungry? You know? And it's like, I cannot stay here. Uh. This is, if I say yes to this stuff, I'm in big trouble. Like oh I cannot get too comfortable here. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta get out. Okay. So I applied, I applied to this teaching job and that was like, that changed my life. Like that gave me healthcare that gave me summers with financial security, mm -hmm. right. Where I knew I was going to be able to cover rent, right. I was going to be able to feed myself. And then I could freelance still and not have to feel like every penny was the most important <laughs> like yeah. financial contribution to my physical well-being. Like that would that became extra money or that became like cash I could use to pay rent and then save my teaching, you know, like mm -hmm. having a savings and uh, being able to do that was just huge. And um the other thing is becoming a teacher, I just felt the full like weight of being a responsible adult because now I'm taking care of people's kids. They're like trusting me to take care of their kids, right? to teach them, to encourage them. So all of that just like changed me from being this guy who you could not reach uh, on a cell phone because it's like when I'm out, I'm out. You know, like okay. what is a calendar? Like, oh, there's a because freelance is sort of like, hey, we need you on a job, thirty minutes. It's like, okay, here I go. You know, right, you had right, to be right. like very loose, very free, very open. But that's not the job paid like eighty dollars, right? It's like, right, okay, right. you're making eighty dollars on this job, which is more than shooting comedy shows these days, right? But, mm -hmm. Which is crazy because that was like the nineties, yeah, but. You know, like that, not having to rely on like gig work like that was just huge. And uh, financial security, healthcare, 
dental optical, you know, just, it just felt like a million dollars. Like, okay, like I'm not getting paid so much, but I do have all these benefits and that's huge. And, um, yeah, that, that was, that's my coma moment, man. Becoming an educator. Wow. And the moment was looking in the mirror at the mall job because because that's when you what well why why is that the moment that's the moment because i i felt like my my life was starting to just like shut down (laughs) i felt like i was disappearing and everything i'd worked for everything i'd done before that moment came down to this like I, I, all this energy expended, you know, like all these finances, working that crazy summer job to save enough money to do that trip, all of that, right? Enduring all those like pr- critiques mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. making this work that I'm so proud of. And then it just was zeroing out like at that moment, you know, but it like it feels I was like, like you'd been feeling that a lot before like when your parents are inviting you to stuff so what changes after that mirror moment that led to the job the security that kind of stuff yeah yeah i think it opened me up to other opportunities and other trajectories because that up to that point the trajectory i was on was just photography It's like only do things that are related to photography because that's what you're going to do. You know, like Mm -hmm. you're going to focus on photography. I, even though I was like still painting, I'm still drawing, but I'm like, that that is the career still need to end up in New York, become a Magnum photographer, join that, get picked up by those guys. That's an agency. agency. Okay. Yeah. Like, Oh, they're just, they're the best. Okay. <laughs> the best. And like, it's like artist owned. You get stock once you, you know, people have to recommend the members recommend you and then oh, wow. they move you in. And if you become a, an official Magnum photographer, then you have like stock in the agency and you can bring it, you know, it's just wow. a very closed elite yeah. Yeah. group yeah. of photographers where all the like, masters and great great ancestors of photojournalism Mm -hmm. like have come from right they started that so it's like robert kappa and henry cartier bresson like oh my gosh like my heroes you know it would have been a dream it would have been a a dream but you know it takes a lot to do that and uh so someone much tougher than myself okay so looking in the mirror is when you go, all right, uh, this is getting so bad that I'm willing to do other things to get yeah. out of this. Ditching the dream. Yeah, let's not, let's not think about that. Let's have some security so that I can keep making work and not have to... Because I've never... I don't know. You know how like in the art world, even the performance world, there are a lot of people that are like, you got to suffer. Yeah. You have to starve because you like in the art world, I remember reading 
this interview with Jeffrey Deitch of okay. Deitch Projects and not necessary to know him, but you know, he was also one of the people that I looked up to and he was just like, Oh, I love this artist because they live their art. They live the mm. like grime, the suffering is in the work. And right, it's like, right, right. you know what? All the gatekeepers, all the collectors, they're not, they're not suffering. Why are right? you forcing me to have to do oh, that? Man, like, why one. can't I have a job? Why can't I be healthy mentally and physically and have a good life just like you have a good life and make work that is still good, you know? Like, don't put that on me, <laughs> like some yeah. mystique, you know? So, I like, I just don't believe in that. I don't believe it in, in, the, in comedy. I don't believe in it in making art you know, visual art. I am in the same boat, but I'm more in the boat where I don't want to believe that. I kind of, I talked about this a couple episodes ago in a solo episode about my problem with the advice not to have a plan B. People are like, don't have oh, a plan B. You got I heard it. that. I heard oh, that. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. So, so that's what is ringing true, especially as someone in a job search that includes searching for positions that are not pure art, writing, performance, comedy, creation positions, you know? Like I'm I'm really reckoning with with that um that plan B thought that I'm I'm less obsessed with fame than I've ever been. So it it that is and that's a real relief. So I genuinely don't feel like I'm giving up a dream to get some security. But I'm wondering for you if part of the 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 benefit of security to keep making art when you were at the shitty picture people job were you making less art? Were you feeling closed in in that way? No, I think I was okay. still making work. I was okay. still freelancing, right? Like I was still working on paintings, still drawing, like still trying to keep up my skills. Mm -hmm. But I think, I don't even think I was thinking about it that way. I was like improving. It's just, that always comes out of me, you know, like, okay, I got to work on, my body wants to make a painting. I got to make the painting or mm -hmm. else like my, I just found like, from a, like when I was in high school that when I made work, like my brain came back together, right? Like if I started to like lose my train of thought or like I emotionally was starting to fall apart, making work always brought it back together. And so that just became kind of, it's kind of like a survival instinct to make work. I feel it now too. Like if I, um, I have a lot of anxiety or whatever. Like I feel like emotionally, like I'm going into a hole, like I'll pick up projects, you know, so that I can investigate a new thing, see something new and like get, get out of my own head and work on, you know, you know what I mean? Like that's just been something, a way that I've been working. Um, so the thing that made the, the thing that caused you to give up, 
the dream, so to speak, yeah. was it was it was just a sense of quality of life that you had that was becoming unlivable. And you and was it that at that time you discovered, oh, turns out I actually have this sense of the kind of life I want to live that's a little more important to me than this specific dream. And just creating things is the real dream. Yeah, yeah. It, like okay. to be able to create in a space where I'm safe. Like it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. where I had the security started to matter a lot to me, you know? And okay. I think like maybe had I graduated college earlier, I think people graduate at like what age? 22, 22. Yeah. So I got out 24. I just felt like, oh no, like the timer. Oh my for me God. to, I, I don't know. I, it was just, later, in a, yeah. I don't know. That two years is like felt huge, you know? When you're in your 20s, and, sure. But I will say, I think part of that, part of that pressure on me is my roommate at the time. He graduated. He was younger than me. He graduated. He got a consulting job. And then, so he was an electrical engineer. His brother was a chemical engineer. And then our other roommate was, I think, also something in chemistry. Okay. They all became consultants, okay? Mm -hmm. And it was the consultancy boom. Right, These guys, like, my my roommate buys, like, a Ducati, a BMW, (laughs) and and a loft, Okay. okay? This is like in the year after he graduated, maybe mm-hmm. maybe two years. Right. I'm just like, oh my gosh! Like a lot. This was happening to a lot of my friends that were not art majors, right? Like they were becoming consultants, and they were mm-hmm. like, I was just like, oh no! Like, what do I do? So it was in my head. I, like maybe mm-hmm. if that wasn't happening, and I was surrounded by artists and a different community, it might've been different for me. I wouldn't have felt like just mm. this pressure, Yeah. but just my community that that was happening. And I really felt like a pressure to have some sort of security. And I knew, I don't know, I had been asked, it's kind of dumb, but when I was young in college, I had been thinking that I wanted a family, you know, like I, at, at some point, yeah. And I did not think I could do that just being a freelancer and making, you know, $150 on an $8, eight hour gig or whatever, you know, it just didn't seem reasonable. You have a lot of students who rose to prominence in various fields, right? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> like, and that was great. Like, I, I knew, and that's the thing I appreciate in the comedy scene in the art scene is having taught the job is to be a cheerleader for talent you know Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. and you watch people you watch them graduate and you hope for the best like man you are so talented i hope you do it like you should do it like there's no jealousy there like uh, i tried i didn't go all the where i wanted it to go but i'm gonna keep working and maybe it's just gonna take a different route you know but like if you're doing it at 18 or younger, holy cow, like, please keep going. That's amazing. I, I applaud you and I'll support you however I can. And like, I still feel that. Like, I, I feel like those years trained me to just be a, like excited about 
people's talent and not to be too concerned about like competing with them like i'm doing my own thing and if people like it they like it if they don't like it uh, what was nice too i guess in terms of talking about making art having an audience and that maybe is part of the satisfaction of making work for me you know like people seeing the work is with teaching you kind of have like this captive audience too right yeah like, yeah, yeah 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 you I mean, they're required to listen, so that's unfair, but, you yeah. know, like you try to make this teaching was a product too. That was like mm -hmm, a creation. Mm -hmm, it was like definitely. an art piece, you know, you're, you're a character, you're improvising, you're performing, and then, you know, you're grading, which <laughs> grading right. is the worst part. I think that's like sure. for teaching is hell. But everything else I found to be very exciting, you know, and like it just created a space to make everything right because I taught so many different subjects. That was really fun. And I didn't know that that's what I wanted. And I, re I realized this is exactly what I need to be doing. Why? Because it allowed me to, first of all, have summers <laughs> where <laughs> right. I could make work all summer. Mm -hmm. I could travel and go see, see work and bring that into the classroom. So everything started to become part of like the product of teaching, right? Mm -hmm. It all fed into that. So all the things that I loved doing, looking at that all became part of the work, you know? So your interests were actually bigger than photography. Yeah. Yeah. And it allowed me to, see that and to explore that but also to make a living off of just loving and being curious about like seeing new work and making work you know so like you're making work with students so that's making it also it allowed me to like research you know painters sculptors performance artists to get into all kinds of facets of art making and to bring that into the classroom and to really think about it, you know, like it's one thing to enjoy it, but then to encapsulate it and turn it into something where we make something influenced by all the things that I've collected and seen, which is just so exciting. Okay. So last question is an unwritten rule that you have that you're in your mind that you're pretty sure doesn't exist for other people. So I'm thinking, because I do have, I'm, I'm trying to think of like a personal one mm -hmm. as an artist or a personal one as just a person or a personal one related to being a husband mm -hmm. or one being a parent. And it, the reason it's taking me a long time is I'm trying to find one that maybe works for all of those parts of me. My head is now in this loop where I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm having to, re I'm reliving my entire life right now. Hold oh on. my God. Well then just yeah. do parent, just do an unwritten rule about being a parent. Oh, okay. This is okay. I think this might relate to just being a performer too. And okay. just being a person it, is that you really can't, let yourself give up even though the product that you're putting out whether it's 
advice or or the love and energy you're putting into the person, your kid, your whatever. Sometimes it just doesn't come back to you right away. Like there's no feedback necessarily. Okay. And it's really easy in your head to kind of give up and walk away. Like you want to do like that. It's, it happens a lot. Like in your head, you want to walk away and you can't. So the unwritten rule is that for me, you just keep pushing forward like it's working. Okay. Okay. I like that. Like having the picture 10 years in advance, like, no, this is paying off and you can't think now that it's not worth the investment because the investment is, it's hard. It's emotional, it's physical, but it is an investment. And the more you invest in it, the more returns you will get. Like you kind of have to take it out of your head that it's not functioning correctly. This is how life is. Like the results just aren't immediate. That is the show. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Chris on Instagram. Check out his goofy-ass voicemail podcast. It's great. Follow me at the links in the show notes. Subscribe to the Patreon if you've listened to a few episodes and you're really enjoying it. I would love to make the show, meaning this show, This Is Your Afterlife, my focus. Joining the Patreon helps me do that. Call the voicemail, leave a message, 313-MISSED-U-R-A. And speaking of that, until next week, remember, you are a mist.